Burgers are best fresh from the grill. Well, more specifically, burgers with Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. It's so rich and creamy that it instantly makes any burger irresistible. And what backyard barbecue is complete without some potato salad? Not just any potato salad, of course. Potato salad highlights the rich, creamy goodness of Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. So if you want to take your barbecue season to the next level, stock up on Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. For great recipe ideas, visit hellmans.com. When you pull up to game night in the all-new Camry, but it's actually bingo night. Mini golf, anyone? It's a Camry vibe. The all-new, all-hybrid Camry, Toyota. Let's go places. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Damashek football program available on iTunes and at davedamashek.nfl.com. Now here's your host, Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, football fans. It's your old pal Dave, Dave Damashek. What's going down? I hope all's well wherever you are. Welcome to the Dave Damashek football program, available as always on iTunes and at nfl.com/shek. Week 13 now in the rearview mirror for the most part, although the Mike Tomlin scandal, at least for those residents up on Mount Pius, continues. We want to talk about that. We want to talk about the Seahawks' dominance. And, of course, we have to get into what is a spectacular array of games in Week 14 as we come down the home stretch now. We're into December. Got to talk about all those things. We'll get into it with our pals, Elliot Harrison and Bucky Brooks in just a moment here. Real quick, I want to tell you, go to NFL.com slash Sheck and see what some are calling the finest Sheck slash shame report of the season. <laughs> a special appearance by Geno Smith, or is it? There's some debate whether it's the real Geno or if there was possibly an impersonator in there. You be the judge. I don't know. I stood next to him. I couldn't tell the difference. Also, shout-outs to uh, the sports guy, Bill Simmons, for my now infamous trade with him. I traded Levy and Bell to him for Josh Gordon literally two days before Josh Gordon took off and became not Megatron like Calvin Johnson, but Megatron, the one in the movie. Just unstoppable, dominant, the greatest football player in the history of football, and I traded him away for Levy and Bell. Anyway, so let's uh, so make sure you check that out. Also, I was on uh, Simmons's podcast earlier in the week, the BS Report, so be on the lookout for that. All right, listen, enough plugging. Let's kibitz about pigskin, shall we? How are we, Elliot Harrison, the Power Rankings author, the Picks author? You see him all over the network. What's the poop, fella? Not too much, man. I'm I'm pretty excited about the slate of games. We yeah, got this I guess week. you should be if Dude, you like football. I, if you don't like football, you're not going to like the games. <laughs> and you probably wouldn't be sitting here in Studio 66 because that would be a weird strike against you to be to someone like- writing about football if you don't like it. Although you'd be surprised. I guess that's kind of true. Yeah, you would be kind of surprised. Do I need to, do I need to reference your Rocky Blyer, Drew Pearson informal informal poll? Yeah, of, we have. Uh, I have taken two a poll years ago. of NFL employees, NFL media employees, and they don't know who Rocky Blyer or Drew Pearson. <laughs> Can you believe what? that? They How didn't know is that who possible? either one was. That's an outrage. It should be outlawed. It should be a felony within these hallways. Also, uh, a former. Buffalo Bill, Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't remember all where Raider. Play, played for UNC. Chief. I saw a picture of you actually online the other day. You looked dandy in that, in that, that powder blue and Carolina spat? blue. How about that? You, I, I like how you know how to put the outfit together. You I'm know? a good dresser now. I'm a good dresser now. That yeah. was one of the things we always talk about like in the locker room. you got to be a good dresser. you got to go out Some there. Some guys don't the care, though. No. Nah. I mean, a lot of fans don't care about the uniforms either. I, I I don't understand how a human being who loves football or plays football, but I mean mainly for the viewer. If you watch football, how can you have no opinion on uniforms? You look at them for three and a half hours. Yeah. What's up? What's up? It's you watch those... a movie. You watch a movie with Blake Lively. Hey, she was pretty attractive. Oh, I didn't notice. What? <laughs> 
But she was in the movie. What do you mean you yeah, have no that's opinion? Different. That's different. Some guys feel like if they comment on it, if it's a good uni matchup, that that's like girly. That's not I tough, think that that's you know? what it's about. It seems metrosexual to care. But I think, Bucky, what we haven't seen. Oh, so anyways, I wasn't, wasn't done introducing you yet. You've also been an NFL scout. And now you, uh, you, you, know, you make your pages and you kibitz on NFL.com and on the network about the future NFL stars. Uh, maybe if we have time, Black Tie will hate it. But we talked some college football on the earlier podcast this week. Go back and listen to it. We did a full half hour on it. And much to black tie chagrin, people loved it. People loved all the kibitzing about Auburn, Alabama, and Ohio State, and all, and all of it, and who belongs in it and who doesn't in the BCS title game. Anyway, you know how to put an outfit together. You know what was cool? When football players in college used to cut <laughs> the, their jerseys the, off the when it was hot yeah. out. Yeah, that's a good move. You can't do that anymore. You're not allowed to do no, it. No, you're not allowed. It's against the rules. What else is cool is taping up your wrist real high. You from like the that? wrist all the way up to the elbow. That, that, good that was just, just, just strictly for look. Cosmetic. Sure, but it's but it's cool looking. There's no arguing with that. Spat, the, the tape around the ankle that's and all that. Black at. shoes. Black shoes with the white tape around them. The spats look. Why don't we see that but more, you remember, Bucky? You remember that, like, Jerry Rice, like Walter Payton, they used to have everything just the right. Eric Dickerson might have been the best at that. He had everything. The goggles, the towel, and just the right place. Right. Like the, the number 29 embroidered or whatever. And Dion uh, Sanders, before games, he would lay his whole jersey out. At his locker, like like as if a guy like a got shot scene, there. Murder like a murder scene. His jersey, his gloves, his <laughs> pants, his <laughs> socks, his shoes would all be laid out like a guy was laying there. I admire guys who, who know how to put their – you know who isn't a great running back? But Mark Ingram clearly is one of those guys, too. You look at – he always has – when you say the towel, he always has that. Yeah. And uh, Cleveland Browns of uh, yesteryear, back in the late 80s and 90s, Frank Minifield and uh, Hanford Dixon. Dixon yeah. They Dog like to put – yeah. you could tell they put their outfits together, too. There's, All right, I'm sorry. I hope we haven't repelled people who fancy. No, there's something pretty sweet, though, about like that Earl Campbell run, though, when he's just – his jersey's all torn. Shredded. Shred- yeah, there's something pretty awesome about Yeah, go that. back and watch that old Nebraska-Oklahoma game, the classic from 1971. Half the guys on the field are just wearing their pads because that was at the beginning <laughs> of the tearaway jerseys, yeah. and they're just so shredded that they literally – some guys are just playing at the end of the game in, in pads and no shirt at all. You don't know what team they're on except for the helmet. All right. Let's talk about this Tomlin hokum, because that's what it is to me. On one hand, it was an egregious error. It was um, it was a misstep. What are all the words that Mike Tomlin himself applied to it? They're, they're, uh, intentional. A blunder. Blunder is what. And that's <laughs> no. the word we keep hearing. It's the new word. Forget about elite for this week. The NFL word of the week is blunder. And yet it's a blunder, and it's regrettable, and I'll take whatever I get for it, and I, it's a learning opportunity, and I'll move forward with honor and all this sort of stuff. But it was accidental, and almost every football person agrees, yeah, of course, he's too smart to get caught up in that. He wouldn't cheat like that. He wouldn't do anything like that. So wait a second. He wasn't lucid enough to realize that his foot was on the field. That's, so that's a, understood. Now, obviously, I don't think he premeditated it to the extent that he decided, I bet you Kobe Jones comes up the left sideline before the kick is made. But once he's standing there and he feels and he sees on the screen Jacoby Jones is coming his, in his direction, he also subtly steps closer to the field. He doesn't know his foot's on the field, though. It was a big accident. But he had the cat quick reflexes at right the, at the perfect time to jump out of the way and not get yeah. hit by Jacoby Jones. That that he was good enough for. So that's, that's that William and Mary football program yeah. way back in the rearview mirror. He still got the cat quick, I guess. Dude, I'm, I'm, so ridiculous. What I mean, who for who is this show? Who's this PR show for that it's regrettable and the league is fining him? Well, did he know he was doing it or not? Clearly he did. And let me say this. I found it very funny, and I liked it. I, I support it, and I don't care that it's a stealer. Bill Belichick could have done it, and I also would have laughed. Your thoughts, EH? I, I agree with you completely. I mean, you can clearly see that he takes a little step into the field. Yes. Then he, he pulls away, and not, it doesn't help when you're smiling from ear to ear right after That's it happens. That's the most damning I, piece I, of I mean, evidence to He's me. grinning, and he's kind of like, yeah, I know I did that. And then I think it started to set in like, oh, wait a minute. This is on NBC, and they're going to play this over and over. And, and I believe they showed it after the commercial break, right? Didn't yeah. they? They came back from commercial, and then Al Michael said, hey, now this happened on the Jacoby Jones, and they really highlighted it. But I don't, I don't think he did it on purpose. I don't think How it was can you think that? 
I will say this. Having coached high school ball and being on the sidelines, sometimes you're so caught up in the game that you find yourself wandering on the places where you shouldn't venture to, meaning the field. And the fact that he's looking at the jumbotron, which is something that he said he does on every kickoff because you can see kind of the bird's eye view. What I believe to happen is he got caught up. He sees what's going on on the tape. And I think what you see after the play is done when he's laughing is, I almost got knocked over, I'm on the field, almost got caught up in the moment, etc. But I don't think it was like a ploy to make Jacoby Jones cut back into the waiting arms of Pittsburgh Steelers pursuer. I, I don't, don't think, think I don't think it was as um, thought through as the, what the repercussion is going to be of the play. I don't think he's going to, I'm going to stand kind on the field and it'll steer him or anything. I think it's, I'm going to mess with him a little bit. Here he comes this way, I'm messing with him a little bit kind of, kind of vibe. He was being playful and the largesse of the thing didn't occur to him until probably after the game. He, he saw it on yeah. the replay. Ha ha! Look what I'm doing. He's getting back slaps from the team. The guys are laughing with him. You can see people in yeah. the background. And uh, on one hand, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I think everybody's up on Mount Pius. You know, listen, Coach Brian Billick, and, and the, within these hallways, I've heard a huge range of opinion on this. On one hand, Brian Billick, I say to him, uh, to my first name drop of a couple here. I say to him, why is everybody so stuffy about this? Wasn't it funny, if nothing else? Billick said to me, absolutely not. Tomlin should be fined and penalized in the same way Sean Payton was a couple years ago. He shouldn't be allowed to coach for a year if he did that intentionally. And I said, why? And he said, well, it's a player safety issue. And I said, I guess so, but nobody was hurt. And I mean, but you imagine how much bigger this would be. If if the, what if the Ravens, either one, what if, what if, first of all, if Jacoby Jones runs into Tomlin, one, and two, what if the Ravens lose that game? It would be so much bigger if, if they had actually lost the game because they only get three out of it. What if, the, what if the Steelers actually make that two-point conversion, go to overtime, and win it? So that would be the bigger thing. But uh, this this And then Willie McGinnis, the second name drop of two, said to me, why are they making such a big deal out of this? Find them $10,000 and be done with it. Who cares? To put it on the same level as – Well, I don't know why $100,000. Like, I just don't know why it's a $100,000 fine. Like, he didn't make contact with the guy. And we can say, like, yeah – did he change where Jacoby Jones was running? I don't know. Like, I don't know if Jacoby would have made that cutback or not. But the fact that it's a $100,000 fine to me is a little excessive based on what he actually did. You know why it's $100,000, too. And here's the thing. You you say, well, did, if he didn't do it intentionally, then why was he fined uh, by the league? And P, I said that on Twitter. I was hammered on Twitter by people saying, listen, intent isn't the, isn't the point of, uh, of a crime. If it's, you know, you get, uh, using a football comparison, guys who go helmet to helmet get fined. It's not to say that they necessarily are trying to concuss somebody. Sometimes that happens and you still wind up with a fine. But the $100,000 is what's bad. That's a grim fine. I know he's a coach. He's on a different level and everything else. But still, that's a lot of money to penalize because what they're saying, what the league is saying is, the refs blew the call. The refs should have made that call on the field. They didn't, and we're still going to penalize the team as a result of this. But $100,000 is a pretty stiff penalty for the refs missing the penalty on the field. You don't understand what I'm saying? I, I do. I do. I, I, You know, maybe what happened, maybe, maybe he saw his reflection or saw himself in the Jumbotron and got confused. It could have. I know exactly and, where you're going. And, you know, like if you see yourself in a mirror, you know, when you're adjusting your tie and you, <laughs> you move it the wrong yeah. way. That's possible, but going back to the infraction, wasn't it a Jets assistant coach that got fired? Trainer uh, guy, yeah. Trainer, and, and he wasn't even in the field of play. But didn't he, tri- uh, he tripped that guy? He, he tripped, tripped the he guy. Made, he, made it, he, made that con- uh, he made contact. That's, that's true. The other thing is, if I'm not mistaken, Wade Wilson, uh, Cowboys assistant coach, was fined, wasn't it $100,000 yes. for using a supplement that was banned? They have shown with coaches that they don't play around. Like the penalties for coaches are, to me, harsher than they are for the players. Uh, they, they I don't, know, but, they don't but screw so I, I, yes, you're exactly right. And also, Mike Tice got fined 100k for selling his Super Bowl tickets. Those are things that are willful deeds. The premise is that's been put out by Mike Tomlin and the Steelers, and apparently accepted by the NFL. Is it well? It was an accident. He didn't mean to be out if on the field. If they accepted it, it wouldn't be a hundred thousand dollar fine. Well, they're continue. Yeah, they continue to threaten a draft pick. That's where it's murky. So wait, do you think he did it or not? So why are you going to strip the team of a draft pick potentially down the line? That probably isn't going to happen unless it's one of their compensatory picks. But just the just the same, that threat implies to me that the NFL doesn't believe Tomlin, and unless they're going to hook him up to a lie detector how can this move forward any uh, i say we move forward with the show 
except with just one more remark. Like you say, I don't want to be a hypocrite about it. And everybody who knows exactly what was in his head, you know, Billick, uh, you know, Coach Billick says, oh, he's too smart a guy. He wouldn't do that. You know, he's not a knucklehead and you're a knucklehead if you think he is. Well, now you are getting inside Mike Tomlin's head and understanding what he's about. I don't know that you can do that. I can't either. But that said, if I'm reading body language, you know what? Let's turn it over to our body language expert. Let me say this about the body language I see. It's not just that he's smiling. I know this is really particular to analyze this. I don't know Mike Tomlin, but my read on it is that's a wry smile. Like I just, <laughs> you see what I, you guys see what I just did? It's done with a wink. Maybe I'm wrong. Is it the same? And that wouldn't that wouldn't work in a court of law? Like I don't know the the way he smiled made me think he knew he had done wrong. Is it the same kind of look that you said the Cialis guys have? Like late in the commercial? <laughs> oh, I still have to shoot my Cialis uh, audition. The, the, let me show Bucky. I'm going to show, yeah, show Bucky, Bucky real quick here. This is great. This is my audition. Is uh, this is if I hope someday you know how the Cialis commercials go? They're 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 playing around, they're cooking, frying up in the pan, or maybe playing miniature golf or whatever. And the lady wiggles herself in just such a way that the fella likes it, and he's taking some Cialis and he's ready to go. And he turns and gives her this look. <laughs> you know. Maybe. All right. Now, let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks because I feel like – oh, wait, we, we can't move on to that. You know, we got to talk to the – play his music. It's not, he's not just Black Tide, the producer behind the glass. He is also our body language expert. It's time for Black Tide's quarterback body language breakdown. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Hello, Black Tide. Well, this is not really a quarterback, obviously. No, We're talking about Tomlin. But, I mean, the same thing with quarterbacks. The reason why it's so important to break down a quarterback's body language because they're the leader of men, the leader General. of the team. Right. Exactly. It happens with the coach as well. He's a leader of the team. Um, from what I saw from Tomlin, I sort of agree with Bucky. He was sort of laughing more so like, first of all, like, wow, I can't believe what I just did. It was kind of funny in the moment. Like, Tomlin's a regular guy. He's not He's not out here trying to act all stone-faced like a Belichick would. You know, like Belichick would definitely wouldn't laugh. Tomlin, I think was able to step out of the moment and be like, hey, did I actually just do that on national television? Like, I see a little bit of what EH was saying, like, hey, he's sort of watching the screen, and you don't quite calculate in the moment. I get the reverse. Yeah. It's like being in a mirror that you yeah. think you're stepping away, but you're stepping into I, the field. I just don't. That, that, happened, that happened a second before he does that, that uh, you know, the, the, the crazy <laughs> gesticulating move, <laughs> unnecessarily yeah. flailing about as he steps out of bounds. At right at the at the perfect moment, too. Just enough to, to screw with him, with Jacoby Jones, but not actually make contact with him. Yeah. Well done. Maybe that's what we're missing. Maybe we're missing the whole thing is how about his timing? I mean, it really was incredible. He I've been saying it. that. Yeah, what, that was an accident, but he, but he got out of there right at the perfect moment. Yeah. Well it's done. Well, wow, it was a random occurrence, but he did it. Right. It just so happened to break perfectly. And as you say, I know you can't read this for certain, but one thing that your eyeballs will tell you is Cortez Allen was making that tackle anyway. He was, he was right on his heels. He caught him from behind, and he's fast, period. So. It's I, don't, a yeah, I, don't, I don't think it was that big of a deal. On the, it didn't have a significant impact on the play. However, because it was a national televised game, so many people saw it, and because the NBC cameras caught him and replayed it over and over again, it has now become a very, very big story. All right. Before we get into the Red Challenge flag pick segment, and, Bucky, you will fill in for the usual uh, combatant of Elliot Harrison, uh, Handsome Hank. You'll make the picks against uh, Elliot Harrison, and I'll be the referee and decide if – either one of you or both of you overstep your bounds, and I, I shall not hesitate to blow the whistle. But uh, quickly, though, the Seattle Seahawks, this is a game that we had circled at least six weeks ago, maybe two months ago. I've been talking about this one quite a bit, saying, listen, this this is why home field has never been more important in the history of pro football than it is in the NFC 2013, because you could see if the Saints get home field, it's going to be awfully tough for Everybody save maybe one or two teams that can go down through the Superdome and come out with a victory and get to the Super Bowl. Likewise, the Seahawks are unbeatable, literally, with Russell Wilson under center, so far at least in his career. So if they get home field, which it now appears they're going to, who realistically is going to go up there and knock them off? I'm not asking that rhetorically now. 
I'm saying who can go up to Seattle and beat them in January? Bucky, I start with you. San Francisco 49ers. You like that. Even and though they've made... gotten whipped, let me just tell you. They've gotten not they haven't lost two straight up there. They've gotten humiliated. No, they've been they've been embarrassed. They've been hammered. I watched the game last December. I was up there when they absolutely destroyed them. Then we saw early in the season when the 49ers traveled up there and they got whipped, but they will play them this weekend. They have an opportunity to match up against them. And I believe in the NFC, they're the only team that really knows how to play the Seattle Seahawks. And I think when you look at the way they won their games when they played at Candlestick, they understand the formula. They won't be uh, kind of daunted or overwhelmed by the atmosphere there. And because they also play a style, a hard-nosed physical style of play that mirrors what Seattle does, I can see them being the fifth seed and having the opportunity to go up there and actually win the first the divisional round of the playoffs in Seattle. E.H.? I actually think Carolina. That's, has, the, has uh, the, that's the only other one that I can see. Has sing, the best right? shot. And the only reason why I think it's Carolina, Buck, is, is because Carolina is committed to running the football. If Cam Newton gets hot and he starts taking off and they have to pay too much attention to him, then they can start making plays downfield. But most importantly, look, when Seattle gets rolling, they get their running game rolling and do things off of that. And it is tough to run on the middle of that Carolina defense. I mean, I think they've proven they're for real. You know, they've, they've proven it. They, they no. went to Candlestick and won 10-9. to I don't, I don't disagree. I believe all three teams are carbon copies of one another. When you really look at the way they're constructed, you look at their quarterbacks. All their quarterbacks are athletic guys who can mm-hmm. improvise and make plays inside and outside the pocket. They have strong running backs in tow so they can feed the ball to a guy 20, 25 times and get 100 yards production on the ground. And then finally, their defenses are big, physical, menacing defenses. They're able to really play the kind of style of play that really works well late in the year. With Carolina, the only thing that would trouble me with Carolina and watching them, and even though they played them very well the last two years, on the outside, I only see Steve Smith and maybe Greg Olson as being guys that can get open, and I don't know if those guys could get open against Richard Sherman and some of those guys in the back end. That's why I think they may struggle going to Seattle and getting that win. I completely agree with you about that, and and, uh, you know, Brandon LaFell, though, has quietly sort of come on here now in the last you know month and a Tegan half or Jr. two. But, he's, he's made yeah, some and plays. even he's made some uh, plays, which is hard to rely on him in, in a big game. Hard to rely on him. But and the other the other factor is, and you couldn't even make a case that this is a an, a benefit is that's a big spot to drop Cam Newton into in his first playoff game, you know, or his what would be I guess his second playoff game if the seeds remain. They would first have to go into either Dallas mm-hmm. or Philly. Win one, win that game. Then their next round would be up in Seattle. That's a big spot, but there is precedent to say, hey, he's a young guy who is probably isn't aware of how big the situation is. Witness Mike Vick going into Lambo, whatever well, think, that was, ten well, years I, ago. I, what I try to do, like scouting prospects getting ready for the NFL, I want to see how they play in rivalry games championship games Mm -hmm. and bowl games. And so when you go all the way back and look at Cam Newton's history and how he's performed in big games as a collegian, it leads me to believe that the moment won't be too big for him. And even though it could potentially be a situation where they played a Dallas or Philadelphia prior, then they go into it, they very well could be maybe the third seed or the second seed. They win the NFC South. They run the table and finish maybe 13-3. and Who knows where that matchup is? I believe that it's not an ideal matchup, for Carolina playing Seattle, but I think they have the components to beat Seattle. I just think the San Francisco 49ers are better constructed to win up there because I don't think they have the noticeable flaws that Carolina has in the secondary. That's why they can match up. Yeah, I, I don't think that, um, you know, providing Cam Newton handles his business, I don't think Carolina would get physically intimidated by anybody, especially if they play Tolbert. They're playing Tolbert back there. Steve Smith doesn't get physically intimidated by anybody. Keekley's not getting physically intimidated by anybody. So I don't think, you know, Seattle does that to teams. They're not going to be able to do that to Carolina. I don't care if they're playing in Seattle. It's just a matter of who's going to play better. Now, that said, hopefully a Seattle writer will cut this video out and then tweet it to all his followers. When uh, Se- the Elliot's moment, raw, Bucky. The, he doesn't the, like this. The He's moment kept- Seattle beats Carolina, this guy is going to go find this video from a month ago and, and act as he probably all put right, a new tell time your stamp story. on it. No, Don't I'm make inside it. references. I'd like to hear the story. Share it with everybody. You were upset yeah, that so after the game. As I was telling you, Buck, before we taped, uh, so I tweeted out a week ago that, hey, you know, the Seahawks are not unbeatable. They've had, I mean, they, they barely beat the Bucks. They barely beat the Rams. They, they got you know who else they barely beat? The Panthers in week one, which yes. is more evidence for what you're talking about, Bucky. Yeah, they, they beat them 12-7. They just about won that game. D'Angelo Williams fumbled inside the 10, I and think. And Kerr said that, five minutes that left. great mm-hmm. catch. Uh, that was a good game. So 
I write, I tweet this out. I'm engaging with Seahawks fans at the time. It was in context. You know, I just released my picks article. So this Seattle writer waits until the moment the Saints Seahawks game ends <laughs> and retweets my tweet from a week ago as if I had just said it right then. Like, yeah, I'm going to watch the Saints get beat 50 to 5 and then tweet out that the Seahawks are, you know, not that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I got so That's much That's when hate it's mail. bold. That's when it would have been bold. Though. That, yeah. Right. To tweet that. So as you said, it makes him look like the civic hero, you know, it standing does. up to the, na- you know, the national guy. That's what he's doing. There's a one-sided rivalry with local guys going at the national media they're not plugged in the way mm-hmm. we are because we're here every day and there is merit in that uh, opinion but it also you can cross the line and have a chip on your shoulder and be like hey look at me seattle look what i'm defending the honor of our local football collective and i'm bashing this national guy in doing it who's, who doesn't know what's going on who's not going to respond because he's not plugged into seattle the way we are he wouldn't do that i bet you if it was the color analyst of the Seahawks games, if the, he said, hey, our team no. is a little flawed, he wouldn't do that because he would get pushed back yes. locally. But well, he can do it with you. You're out of the loop. You also yeah. have to remember, having worked there for the Seahawks, like they don't always feel like in the Pacific Northwest they're neglected. Yes. They don't get in major TV games. People don't respect Correct. them in the same vein as they respect the Patriots or the Broncos and such. And so when they're finally at the top of the heap, and they are right now based on their record, they want to be treated like we would treat the Patriots and the way we treat the Broncos and those other teams that have these sterling records. And so you get some of that, but the team also feeds off of that. Like if you watch an Earl Thomas or the way Richard Sherman you've seen in interviews, Mm -hmm. they feed off being disrespected. I can tell you a story about Earl Thomas two years ago, actually last training camp when they just signed T.O. T.O.'s up there, so they send me up there. I, I go, forgot about that. Yeah. So I go and watch them in practice, and I have practice like watching T.O. or whatever, and I'm there. And I know Earl Thomas from before because as he was getting ready for the draft, I worked, and we kind of did some things together. And so I guess I had said something that he took offense to two years ago. So and he was like, I remember what you said. I'm going to prove you wrong. Da-da-da. And I'm looking around. I mean, like, he's loud in front of all these people. I'm like, what, what is he talking about? Like, I haven't disparaged. I'm like one of the biggest Seahawks supporters. Like, right. what is he talking about? And he is animated in that, but he wouldn't come and talk to me. So later his agent tells me that two years ago on a draft show, I ranked Eric Berry over top of Earl Thomas coming out. And I was like, okay, like I had both of you guys one and two. Like you both went in the first round. Like what is the big deal? But that's how they feed off of that. Pete has done a great job of filling that locker room with a bunch of guys who have kind of that chip on their shoulder, from Russell to Bruce Irvin to anybody they bring in there. They have a little chip. Richard Sherman, they all kind of play That's that. That's an interesting and they point feed you make. Off of that energy that people Real or imagined. Out. Yeah, real or imagined. Every team, I've said this now for a decade, and uh, Sporty Simmons, the aforementioned uh, one, um, also has a thing now about this, but the. The, the the notion that, that that every team who ever wins a championship over the last quarter century, there's not been one of them that doesn't say in the locker room afterwards, no one believed in this team outside this locker room. It's like everybody had you as the prohibitive favorite going into the season. What are you talking about? No one thought you could do this. But that the ability to, to convince everybody in the locker room that we're the only ones, it's just us against the world, that's everything. Good. And Michael Jordan, you look at the individual thing, Michael Jordan – those guys know how to use that as fuel. Well, they are. Th- think about Richard Sherman. Like, think about Richard Sherman, his epic battles with Skip Bayless and mm-hmm. all those other things, like how he's taken on people, how he took on Tom Brady, you mad, bro, that whole thing. Like, that's how they play. And I think when you are around and you've seen Pete and you see what they do, that's what they feed into it. And the whole kind of like the, the reputation of the 12th man and going up there. And I think everyone, you, you got to go up there and watch a game up there because I think if you go and watch a game, at the link, as they call it, like it is, it is a little different. different. It, it is, is not jive, and I've talked to a lot it, of guys about that. You know, the the because to me, I got it. It gets to be empty at some point when you hear every week, whatever game you're watching. This is the this is the greatest atmosphere in the NFL. It doesn't make it there. If you're watching a game in Green Bay, oh, this is the best. This is the toughest place to come in here and win. KC, same thing. New Orleans, same thing. Pittsburgh, same thing. Well, they can't all be that tough. Then, but Seattle is. A lot of guys who have played in games in the last couple of years say it's so loud that it does affect the uh, offense's ability. You saw Drew Brees get flustered by it. That offense practically couldn't hear. That's That's my point. If they can't go up there and win, that was my thing. That's the indictment for the Saints. I know the Jets... 
got smoked by the Patriots, what was that, three years ago? Mm -hmm. They got whipped by the Patriots, and then two weeks later, went up there and beat them, and it was in pop season. This is different to me, because it's not just that that physically I feel like, and and I've whispered this over the course of the season, I don't still buy Rob Ryan's defense, and it got exposed a little bit. I know they have nice pieces Mm -hmm. and everything, but I think they can get brutalized by San Francisco. We saw that, and in fact, that made me abandon my thought, who's going to go through the Superdome and beat them? And when I saw that San Francisco game that the Niners should have really won a couple of few weeks ago, the Ahmad Brooks game, then I realized this team is good. They're very nice. Obviously, Drew Brees and and Sean Payton and all that, but they can be had. You can you can you can steamroll them physically. You can you can beat them up in that rain in January. I yeah. have no reason to think that they would be able to handle that on, in a second. Well, that's around. why I like the fact that that Carolina runs the ball. And, and to Bucky's point, the Forty ers run the ball. But just to tie a bow on this, my favorite part of the whole. Me getting all this hate mail from Seahawks fans were all the guys that did hashtag East Coast bias. Like, I grew up in Texas, <laughs> right, following the Cowboys, and, and the Redskins and Eagles and Giants are all East Coast teams. I mean, East Coast bias. Me? I mean, I sound like a bad rendition See, of Matthew McConaughey. But that's the chip. <laughs> you think I'm, you think I'm a Yankee? <laughs> I'm from way on south. I got cowboy boots. I sleep in them even. What are you talking about? You can't that put no lip. You can't put a lipstick on a on a cow, oh, a steer from <laughs> on a, on down a pig in or whatever it is, on right? El Paso. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anymore. Did you guys see Jay Novacek uh, on? Uh, can't wait to get you out here to be a part of these <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. Oh, we someday we got to get Terrence Newman, who that was doing his Jerry Jones <laughs> against Elliot Harrison doing his Jerry Jones. That would be epic, would it not? Did you see uh, Novacek on the uh, backstory last night? I, Full cowboy boots and. Cowboy hat and blazer. Made you feel at home, huh? <laughs> Looking good, it. yeah. You so loved I'm, it. You calm loved down it over there. You loved it being a cowboy guy. Calm you down. Loved I, it. I did like Jay Novacek. You loved it. Hey, he was, a, pre- he was a precursor to all these pass-catching tight ends. Yeah, let me absolutely. tell you something. I didn't know, really, in 2013 that people still walked around in cowboy hats and boots. I really didn't. I wasn't aware of that. Only, I thought that was a, only Only in Texas. You know what was funny? Calm Remember, down. Wranglers. There were people. There were people in the late seventies, early eighties. I remember this: that the Dallas, the the TV show with J.R. Ewing and everybody, yeah, yeah. and the Cowboys were sufficiently popular enough that cowboy hats, like people would wear them around America. I, yeah. I was in Pittsburgh, PA, and I remember people would walk around in cowboy hats on occasion. That's right. Terry Bradshaw. Bradshaw wore one. That's yeah. exactly right. How strange. How, Mel but, Blunt also had a cowboy hat. But there's nothing hat. cooler. But they're Texas guys nothing, or Southern guys. Nothing cooler, though, than seeing the NFL films of the Oilers playing that first championship game in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and Bum Phillips, Phillips with a cowboy hat. With the plastic over it so that it wouldn't get wet. In the <laughs> second one, he wore it. In the second one in 79 or January of 80, he wore the long duster as well. <laughs> Where's that kind of style sense? In, in, uh, Cowboy boots uh, on the sideline too, right? Oh, sweet. Sweet stuff. All right, so let's get into some games here then, mm-hmm. fellas, and let's start with the one that uh, we're more or less talking about. What is that for? Real quick, real quick. I know Bucky has to leave real soon, and I know you want to get to the games. I had a question for Bucky, though, because oh, being a right. scout, watching the game and whatnot. What are the Eagles doing differently now, or are they doing anything differently now with Nick Foles in the fold, or is it just that he's a much better quarterback than what Michael Vick was giving him? No, they tweaked their offense with Nick Foles on the center. Like, when you look at what they do, they still do some of the elements. They still do uh, the zone read. Uh, handing the ball off to Shady McCoy. They have the bubble screen attached to some of those plays where they give Nick Foles the option of throwing the bubble screen outside to Deshaun Jackson or Riley Cooper or handing the ball off to Shady McCoy inside. But what I've seen from them, particularly last week against the Cardinals, they use multiple tight end formations. So if you call it, uh, we call it 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, two wide receivers. They did a lot of those personnel packages with Brett Selleck and Zach Erickson. And what they were able to do, they were able to create mismatches against the Cardinals outside because they couldn't match up with Zach Ertz. And so what you're giving Nick Foles is the ability to run bootlegs and movement-based passes to allow him to get to the edge, have a not necessarily a run-pass option, but multiple levels, flat, uh, vertical down the field, and then somewhere in that intermediate area. And he's been superbly accurate hitting those guys coming across the field. He is giving them the ability to run West Coast offensive principles at a very fast tempo, something that Mike Vick couldn't do consistently from a passing perspective. All right, so now we're doing – Bucky, you and me have made some uh, some college football videos over the last couple months here. We like doing that, and you can find those at uh, NFL.com. CFB 24-7? Yep. 
That's right. That's it. I can't never get the college name. football twenty four seven. College football twenty four seven. Yeah, you can search for that. It's a it's a it's got its own page. Lots of college football talk with the great Daniel Jeremiah and Matt Money Smith, and of course the college football twenty four seven podcast with Bucky and those fellas. Real quick before we jump in, bear with me here. Eh, eh is one of those weird fellas who loves pro football but doesn't care about college. I don't understand that. I don't know how you can not. It's kind of like, even if you don't care about the games about, itself. You talk about rivalries. Yeah, and you care about the players, too. And you grew up in Texas. I can explain you, it. All right, well, let me just say this. I, the, if only from a pro football fan perspective, it's don't you want to see the guys that your team's going to sure. draft and uh, want to be informed about those? And then I think then it's kind of like saying, like, Everybody who loves Thanksgiving dinner wants to watch a turkey get slaughtered too. Like that's a, maybe it's a little bit of a reach to say, well, because you like love turkey. pro football, you should watch the college kids. But on some level, you know okay, what I'm saying. When did you get bit by the college football bug? By what man, age? I was about what age? Six. Six. When did you get bit by the college Forever. football? I've always loved football. So from the time I was little. Yep. Okay. When I was a kid, the Southwest Conference where I grew up sucked. They sucked. I mean, everybody sucked. No, it didn't. Oh, they did. They t- UT SMU, went, Baylor. Yeah, well, SMU got the death penalty. Oh, okay? okay. And SMU was the – Dallas is a big city, but it doesn't have a college – you know, it doesn't have a major school. SMU is really – Cities it. typically don't. Okay, TCU's in Fort Worth. Okay, North mm. Texas, where I went, is in Denton, which is 30 miles north of Dallas. SMU was it. SMU got the death penalty, which, by the way, is still unfair. It but killed them. It killed them. It absolutely killed SMU football for 15 years. And what did they do wrong? <laughs> You're right. No kidding. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing, you referenced that I'm from Texas. Well, what's big in Texas? I could tell you right now, high school football will always, always be bigger in Texas than college football, and it's not even close. It's not Wait, even close. But what about UT, Oklahoma? Yeah, of course. Those they weren't games? good. UT was not good. This was uh, Fred Akers' UT. Uh, I just Fred Akers' up, UT, the thing that marked it, I'm sorry to disagree. Well, listen, I remember well enough the age that you're talking about. The thing that marked Texas football at that time mm-hmm. was Fred Akers would get them on, into New Year's Day in the Cotton Bowl, and, and it smoked. seemed like it seemed like about five years in a row, it was like, if they win this game and that team loses in the other one, they're going to be national champion, and they would never win the game. That's yeah. what was, was a problem for them, was that they didn't come through on New Year's Day. Well, when John Makovic took over, this Ooh. was the funniest thing. So everyone in Texas got fired up. I believe it was 1990. A&M plays BYU in the Holiday or Independence Bowl. They separate Ty Detmer's shoulder. He comes back in. They, they like, separate the other one. And they beat him 68-14. to 14. I'm not kidding. R.C. Slocum. Uh, uh, the Wrecking Crew. Yeah. 68-14. to 14. A&M, I think, was the underdog in that game. And that's when Detmer was throwing for, like, you know, 4,800 yards. So, the next... Two days later, or a couple days later, Texas is going to play Miami, you know, and everyone's like, "Oh man, this can be great." And the Cotton Bowl, yeah, and Dennis Erickson, <laughs> the famous yeah, one, yeah. yeah, Dennis Erickson's like, "Man, if, if that's the second best team in the Southwest Conference that just beat BYU 68-14, I'm a little worried." Texas got just flattened. Yeah, I mean, forty-one three. Randall Hill shooting the doing the Three six shooters oh, in the end zone. They, they couldn't block Russell Maryland to, to save their life, that. man. Oh, I didn't. I would see. I'm old school, Bucky. I That's didn't care that. for the newfangled uh, Florida ways. I thought, who are these teams? Is these Miami and Florida states and uh, University of Florida's getting into the mix here? I grew up. I, you know, I grew up with the Pitt Penn State rivalry. I love Big Ten football. I I swooned over the exotic nature of the Pac-10. As I always say. I'd flip on my TV. It'd be cold outside. It was gray in the sky. Pitt and Penn State would be playing in the snow or the chill. And then I'd flip on my TV, and there would be two teams playing in, out in the sun, both wearing their home jerseys, one a glorious powder blue, the other a crimson. And I thought, who? what, what, what land is this that this game is taking place? It turned out it was the U.S. of A. Yeah. It's where we sit now. Now. Speaking of California, there's a yeah. game going on in there, yeah. and that's now we'll go back. It's time for the Red Challenge Flag pick segment here. Red Challenge Flag picks. I'm going to ask Bucky and Elliot who they got here, and if they disagree, we throw the Red Challenge Flag. We'll start off with Seattle at the San Francisco 49ers. Elliot, I start with you. I'm picking the 49ers. I think this is going to be a letdown game for the Seahawks. Uh, I think the Seahawks are still a better team. I really do. But having Crabtree back, Seattle can't cover everybody. I think this will be a big game for Anquan Bolden. San Francisco wins at home. 
I think San Francisco wins this. Uh, I think the Michael Crabtree But, Bucky, effect, just so you know, since it's the first time you've done it, I like when you disagree. It's better. Don't you understand drama is better? I do understand that. All right. Conflict and drama, that's what that's that's heat. I, so just disagree with each other. Just disagree. If you well, all right, go ahead. Don't go ahead listen with your, to him, Buck. Just, just, just disagree. Don't listen just to disagree him. For, for no effect. I like Here's heat. why. Here's why. At home, San Francisco plays Seattle a little uh, differently. Michael Trapp Crabtree coming back last week sparked that offense because now it puts their offense back in their customary roles. Crabtree's the number one. Vernon Davis is the number two, works the middle of the field. Anquan Bolden becomes an effective number three option. They can run the ball. Colin Kaepernick looked very comfortable. Now they're back to being the San Francisco 49ers that we expect. And also, Elliot makes a good point about the emotional letdown. Mm-hmm. On Monday night, that game was huge for Seattle. Big stage. Everyone got an opportunity to see. They put on their best. Hard to gear back up the following week and get it. Emotionally, it's tough to get back up. I've stuck with Kaepernick with exactly that as my logic is how can we, you know, beat this guy up when he doesn't have. I mean, there were times even when Vernon Davis was slowed or not even in the game. And now you're talking about, well, it's Anquan Bolden, who is a great wide receiver, but is not doesn't command double teams consistently or anything else. What was he supposed to do? Especially they had some they were getting slide that they were getting run on defensively and everything. Mm-hmm. They're rounding into shape as it just happens. It's it's, you know, dumb luck, but they're rounding into shape at just the right time. It would appear Scary team. Smith coming back. They're the team. They're the team. We always talk about like the last three years. It's been yep. a wild card team to roll and run hot. Yep. They're the team to watch because they're getting healthy. Colin Kaepernick will have four weeks to get on the same page with his offensive weapons on the outside. They're the scary team. And, in fact, I will go on a limb and say now, they will be the team that Seattle doesn't want to face at home because they won't have the fear of going to Seattle. Even though they've been whitewashed, because they've had success against them, it'll just be, I mean, a slobber knocker, a head knocker. All right, I vote that we get that as our NFC title game, though. I'm saying I want that. I'm not predicting it. I'm saying that is, as a fan, that is the one I want to see more than anything else, especially if the Niners win this one on Sunday. Next up, it's such a slate of games. I don't want to be a shill, but that's the the fact, fellas. It's, It's a great slate of games. And I'm even going to skip Minnesota-Baltimore, even though it has great significance in the wild card race in the AFC. I'm going to go instead. Indianapolis Colts, who are limping a little bit, and a team very quietly who's put together, who's putting some things together, 8-4 and four now, Andy Dalton, Cincinnati Bengals, Bucky Brooks. The, one is, the game is in Cincy. Who you got? Cincinnati and the Queen City. I think Cincinnati is a team that you have to worry about. Their defense is very good. Mm-hmm. Offensively, they have all the weapons that you could want. It really comes down to Andy Dalton taking care of the ball. When he takes care of the ball, they win. If he does that, I think they'll beat the Indianapolis Colts. I think they're going to beat the Indianapolis Colts, mm. too. I think the Bengals are going to have to lean on Dalton as much because the Colts' run defense isn't very good. Why not just use your backs, give Andy Dalton that 25-30 to 30 attempt style game where he doesn't have to do too much, just throws to his tight ends a little bit. Obviously, A.J. Green is going to command attention. And let's be honest, guys, the Colts, they may be 3-2 and two over the last month, but that's not they a pretty 3-2. and two. I was there Sunday, saw them. They're, they're not a very impressive team at this point. No, I know. They've been they've been downright crummy, in fact. Mediocre or pa- or parody, whatever word you they want are, to use to apply to them. They are Paul Tagliabue's vision of the NFL. They are Exhibit <laughs> A. Um, real quick, Buck, before we move on, what is why I always, I, I've lately been making the metaphor that uh, football has now become like Jenga, that every team's going to have pieces taken yes. out, but some pieces are going to make the whole team collapse, Aaron. Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and so on. Why didn't that happen? Why hasn't that happened yet to Cincy when you take out Geno Atkins, who was considered by everybody to be the linchpin of that defense? They're very talented. They're talented at every level. Up front, they have a lot of talent. You think about Michael Johnson, Carlos Dunlap, those guys can play. Vontez Burfick has emerged as one of the top inside linebackers in pro football. He makes a lot of plays. He's assumed the leadership that Geno Atkins had. And so they're playing well. And then on offense, these guys are talented at the skill positions. A.J. Green, Jermaine Gresham, Tyler Eifert, and really Giovanni Bernard has been the spark because not only can he give you production as a runner, his ability to get out the backfield has really helped Andy Dalton. He was a big addition, and because they have all those pieces, that's why they're able to survive with, you know, Think about if you, Cam Newton, if he had those we- I mean, think about when we talk about Alex Smith, you watch the Chiefs not catch the passes of Alex mm-hmm. Smith and everything. If anybody, that is the most loaded offense there is, save probably the Broncos, Imagine if they outside had, of the like, quarterback spot. Quarterback. Right. Imagine yeah. 
you take Jay Cutler and you put him in Cincinnati, how good they could be. Matt Money Smith has been saying that he predicts Cutler winds up in Cincinnati in 2014, and that would be an ideal fit. And the other guys, Muhammad Sanu, who's in his second year, I'm waiting for him to take off too. I just want to throw one thing to what what you said and why Geno Atkins hasn't been that uh, colossal of a, of a loss. Mike Zimmer, their D.C., came from Dallas. And that staff in Dallas under Jimmy Johnson rotated their defensive line all the time. So these backups, they play. You know, they, they play mm-hmm. all the time. So you put them in a starting role. Are they as good? No, but it's not like it's some stiff that's only played 12 snaps a game. Their backups play, what, 25 snaps a no, game. They, they, they get that. And we talked earlier all, offline about the Chicago Bears and their struggles. So they yep. lose Henry Melton. They're throwing Corey Wooten in a defensive tackle. He's a defensive end. And so developing your backup players, getting them ready for prime time, the Bengals have done that. And because of that, they've been able to survive with a key injury to right. a Pro Bowl player. Next game, EH. It's uh, the Detroit Lions at the Philadelphia Eagles. How say you? Oh, man. I, this game really goes down to how the refs call it. Are they going to call the Lions for some of the stuff that they do? And are they going to let the Eagles get away with bloody murder like they did against the Cardinals where they're grabbing them on every play? Are they going to be able to grab Megatron? I don't know. I'm actually taking the Eagles in this game because they are the home team. And not knowing how the refs are going to call it, I like Philadelphia at home. Two-game home winning streak now, Bucky. Detroit. Knowing the defense coordinator for the Detroit Lions, Gunther Cunningham, what he's going to do is he's going to test the courage of Nick Foles. He will man up, make sure they press those receivers outside, which is mandatory when you play the Philadelphia Eagles. You have to press them to take away the bubble screen. Make Nick Foles make big-time throws. And when you think about that front line in Detroit, they can get after the passer without blitzing. They're going to come after Nick Foles. I think they're going to win. And look, the Eagles don't have anyone who can match the Megatron-Reggie Bush combination. Reggie Bush will probably have 100 yards receiving in this game because they're trying to take away Calvin Johnson. That'll be the difference, provided Matt Stafford doesn't just hand them the ball three times. Or the refs don't let the Eagles just do this all the way down the field. Doesn't matter. You know. Megatron is too big for them little guys. They got yeah. little midgets outside. Well, let me tell you this, too, by the way. Circle this one if you are a fan of the Packers and you'd like to see them get back into this and you're looking for somebody who might be able to go up there into Seattle and take them down in a 60-minute affair. Um If the Packers win this game, and they should at home against the Falcons, if they can win that game and the Lions lose to the Eagles, now it's back on, and Aaron Rodgers, I predict, will be back a week from – or he'll be back in week 15, and they could catch fire and make a run to the playoffs. So uh, keep, uh, keep your eye on that one. I think the Eagles are going to win that game, though. But, uh, Bucky, you're right. That defense the defense has been better in Philadelphia, though, for quite a while now. It's not a fluke. The defense has played pretty well now for two months. Um Miami at Pittsburgh. Let's be quick on this one. Bucky, how say you? Miami, Pittsburgh. I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. I just believe their toughness will eventually wear down the Miami Dolphins. Miami is playing good. They understand Mike Wallace, though. Pittsburgh will find a way to make it uncomfortable for Ryan Tannehill. I think still let's get back on track. I'm, I'm throwing the flag on Yay! this. I'm, I'm, throwing, I'm, I'm, I'm taking Miami. Not because I'm a big believer in Miami, but Pittsburgh's not getting a pass rush, and that is the best way to beat Miami because their line isn't good, and Ryan Tannehill has no pocket presence at all. He's been sacked a ton this year. But Pittsburgh just, you know, you've watched the Steelers. No, a ton of I will. I, they I can't do get agree. after the quarterback. No, I, 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 over the bulk of the season, yes, but the last two weeks they have. Jason Worlds has come on big he did time play, now. Played very well. He's had two. Baltimore. He's two. He's had two dynamite games in a row now. They've got a, now uh, Lamar Woodley's coming back. Begin the to get turnovers. They begin to take the ball away. Yep. They didn't do it. Killer for them the is they can be had. In, they can be had. In what about, and Le'Veon Bell? That's the other issue. Bell is apparently looks okay. Who knows if he'll be ready to go though? I I think them their ability to handle the speed of Mike Wallace, ironically or otherwise, is uh, is is going to be the issue there. But you're so you're going Dolphins. You're going Steelers. Absolutely. I say the Steelers scratch this one out. I don't know. Chicago at Dallas. What should we do? Chicago, Dallas, or Carolina, New Orleans? I get Carolina, New Orleans, because Chicago, Dallas should be obvious. Yeah, you're right. Should, let's skip the let's be. skip the Bears game. Okay, you're right. <laughs> yeah. We'll take your Cowboys and Carolina, New Orleans. Eh, you start us off. I'm taking New Orleans, and I hate doing that, given that that their plane got stuck. They were you know they're, they're on less rest, 
But, man, Carolina just has not played well there in New Orleans. Cam Newton hasn't, and you know that they are going to be so mad about the way they played in Seattle. It's and they game. survived, and they survived, and Carolina survived the tough game two weeks ago. Then they get up for the Buccaneers game. How many game, How many weeks in a row are they going to rise to the occasion? Yeah. Now, if they want to win the division, they have to probably sweep the Saints if you look at the respective schedules remaining. But uh, if And if you're ever going to go into the Superdome and beat them, short rest, trip across the country, all that. Yeah sort of thing. I could see Carolina winning this one, and no one's obliterated them yet. No one's really, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough matchup for the Panthers, but the Panthers can win by running the football. Mm-hmm. Like, they play a style of play, much like the 49ers were successful going to the Superdome and probably win it. They should have won the game. They're going to take their formula. I think Carolina can win this also. Big stage. Cam Newton. They have an opportunity to show the world, again, like they beat the Patriots. They have a chance for everyone to see them. I think Carolina can get this one on the road. Fellas, thanks for coming in. Bucky, real quick, I go Michigan State and I go Missouri in the two big uh, title have games. Have you been here. looking at my test? You've been looking at you. You yeah. stole my notes because that's what I got. I think I think Ohio State actually beats Michigan State. I think oh, this did. game is closer than people expect. I just don't think Michigan State can score enough points to keep up with Ohio State. And I do think Missouri is better than Auburn. They have an NFL defensive line. That's why they win. I feel like Michigan State has no pressure on it. They're just playing for the Rose Bowl. It's fun for them. It's, a, it's, a, it's not, ambitious, whereas Ohio State has a certain amount of heat on them right now. And they're going to be scared. And Braxton Miller didn't throw well when I was at the big house against Michigan. He hasn't passed well the last couple of weeks. I believe Michigan State will make oh, it tough. Oh, I forgot I you were in the joint for that one. No, if Michigan State can score enough points to, to make – they have to score 24 to win. Mm-hmm. If they don't score 24 points, I don't think they can win. Ah, good stuff. All right, EH, great stuff. Black tie, great stuff. Um, all right, well, you want to wrap it up here, black tie? Yeah, we got to. I had some uh, fan tweets I was going to read out, but you guys ate well, up all just, the time talking you know college what? football. Oh, oh God. God. Yeah, we, we yeah. went at least All 41 seconds stuff. on it. People yeah. liked it. People you, liked it. Black you know time. what, man? What? Back to your thing about, you know, like, you don't you want to know where your your team got their guys? Yeah, when the Cowboys were drafting such greats like Danny Noonan and Kevin Brooks <laughs> and Jesse Penn and Daryl Clack and all those great players, I didn't really care to look up where they went to college because they all busted. Nebraska, Arizona State are the two bookends. I don't know I, I, <laughs> that's, the names that you were right. mentioning in between. I lost. All right. Black Tie, thanks. He wants us to wrap it up. We do, as he says. So uh, we'll be back after week 14 in front of week 15 to get you ready for those games. In the meantime, enjoy them. Thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. They say every dog has its day, but when you're Lulu and your parents drive a Camry, every day is your day. The roomy rear seat is the perfect, whoa, is that the dog park? Backseat besties, it's a Camry vibe. The all-new, all-hybrid Camry. Toyota, let's go places. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings.